1: Hey, friends, Matthias here. And you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. Um, I am in my kitchen tonight. It's 9 30 p.m. on Monday evening. This episode is supposed to release at midnight. I thought long and hard about even doing this episode because I don't know how to do it. Um, I. I uh, this is this is a tribute episode to Rachel Held Evans, uh, a woman who passed away this weekend, uh, who was a fierce ally and advocate for LGBTQ people. Um, she was on this podcast. She was a friend of mine. Um, she died unexpectedly this this past weekend, and um, her work has impacted so many of us, um, and so it, it has felt only fitting to do something to honor her. And yet, as I have sat in my grief today over the past few days, thinking about how how in the world do I do this? Um, how in the world do I go back and listen to my conversation that I had with her last year? Um, I couldn't do it, and I couldn't do it. I, and then tonight I was like, I have to, I have to do something. Or release it next week, but but here I am. Here I am. I'm doing it. Um because Rachel meant so much to many of us. Um and if you're not familiar with Rachel's work, now's like really good time to get familiar with her because her work is amazing. It's amazing. Uh I remember back years and years and years ago, uh, back when back when I was a senior and undergrad uh, at John Brown University in Siloam Springs, Arkansas, and my RD, we were, we were in a stairwell and my RD came up to me and kind of under, under his breath said, Matthias, like I I had, I had come out to him earlier that year. Um, But he said, Matthias, he's like, I know you're working through a lot of things right now. He's like, I don't know if you've ever heard of this woman named Rachel Hald Evans, um, but she's a blogger and, and she might be someone that you you would want to pay attention to. Uh, and that was how I heard of Rachel. I started reading her blog. And and at that time, she had just started working through LGBTQ issues and, and what she believed. She was several steps ahead of me at the time. Um, and she charted a path for me, for so many others. I started blogging because of her Um I mean, I, 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 like, I, I don't, it doesn't feel like it's hyperbole to say that I wouldn't be doing this work unless Rachel had done her work. Maybe I would be, I don't, I don't know. Um, but she definitely led the path. Um, I feel like I could talk for hours about Rachel. I could cry for hours about Rachel. I have been crying for hours about Rachel, um, but what I'm going to do is is play the conversation that we had a year ago, uh, back when she was on the podcast, which we had titled Rachel Held Evans as Hopelessly Straight. Um, but this is completely unedited. So I, I usually edit this podcast. I usually edit out. I, w- whenever I talk to people, I make affirming noises like, mm, hmm like those noises. <laughs> Uh, I usually edit those out in our conversations, but I left him in for this. This is this is raw, unedited. Um, you'll hear near the end of it when Rachel and I, um, I like messed up a few times, and Rachel was so gracious and, and came up with some great ideas of how to keep the podcast moving. And uh, it's just going to be really hard to move on. I'm really. And I just can't believe she's gone. <sighs> so, um, this is for all of us who Rachel has made a huge impact on our lives. And for us to remember her and and keep moving on in our work and, and the work that she's, she taught us how to do. Um, and before I dive into this conversation with her... Um, there's a little poem that I wanted to read. My computer just went into a screensaver. Um, um, and this poem is is by Jan Richardson. It's it's a blessing, actually. She writes blessings. It's called "The Cure for Sorrow." Um, and, and it's one that's been bringing me a lot of solace in this. So may it be a blessing over us, um, as we listen listen to Rachel's words. Um, So The Cure for Sorrow by Jan Richardson. Because I do not know any medicine for grief, but to let ourselves grieve. Because I do not know any cure for sorrow, but to let ourselves sorrow. Because I do not know any remedy, but to let the heart break. To let it fall open, then to let it fall open still more. Because I do not know how to mend the unmendable, unfixable unhealable wound that keeps finding itself healed as we tend it, as we follow the line of it, as we let it lead us on the path it knows. Because I do not know any solace, but to give ourselves into the love that will never cease to find us, that will never lose its hold on us, that will never abandon us to the sorrow for which it holds the cure. Friends, let yourselves grieve. It's so odd to grieve someone who, as, as my friend Micah said, who many of us only really knew through pixels. Um, I mean, I only met Rachel in person twice, uh, and then we had this conversation, but but her work hasn't meant so much to me. Um, it's a strange world that we live in, um, and that doesn't make the grief any less. So give yourself the time, space, space, the ability to grieve um, because that really is the only way we can work, we can work through our sorrow is by letting it come. Okay, I've talked for long enough. Um, here's my conversation from last year with Rachel Haldivans. Okay, and I'm recording uh, in five, four, three, two, one. Rachel, hi, welcome.
2: Hi, it's such an honor to be here. I'm excited about jumping in on this podcast. Yeah. I listen. I'm a listener. Oh, thank you. Now (laughs) I'm a guest. It's an honor.
1: (laughs) I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, So to start, the question I ask everyone, uh, how do you identify and then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity?
2: All right. Well, uh, I'm a a straight, cisgender ally, Mm. Uh, who is also a mother and a wife, and I'm a doubter. I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, And I guess, how has my faith informed that identity? I mean, identity is like so many different things. Mm. I'm also, I'm white. I'm an Alabama Crimson Tide football fan. (laughs) Uh, You know, the important stuff. Uh, (laughs) I'm Episcopalian. Um, But I guess, you know, my faith has informed that my identities in the sense that those identities are always changing and, um, identities, you know, for me are in a lot of ways fluid in the sense of, yeah, just as your life changes, your roles in that life change and Mm -hmm. how you relate to other people change. Um, and so my faith informs that because my faith, um, provides sort of the insights into, um, what's most important and, uh, how I ought to be relating to people uh, in my life, and it informed my the what the fact that I identify as an ally uh just because um just following Christ and the example of Jesus Christ led me to uh, become somebody who imperfectly uh supports and uh tries to rally around and encourage. Uh, my LGBTQ friends mm. and family members, um, because it's the right thing to do. Mm. And uh, Jesus looked out for people and supported people and surrounded himself by people and learned from people who were often shoved to the margins because, by the religious leaders. And so that's, that informs how I relate to people who uh, identify differently than mm-hmm. I do when it comes to gender and sexuality and that sort of thing. -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, I mean, like sometimes people on the internet think that I'm gay because. I hang out with y'all <laughs> and I'm always like, well, that's very nice. Thank you for believing that about me, but that I'm not, I'm afraid that I am in fact, straight as an arrow.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, Cause apparently just being gay for Penelope Cruz does not count as actually gay. So wow. it's too much to fit in this acronym. <laughs> so, yes, I am pretty hopelessly straight mm. and happily married mm. and the mother of A toddler and a little girl on the way.
1: Mm -hmm. That's such a real thing, though, because I think, I know when I was like, when I wasn't out of the closet, I was terrified to hang out with LGBT people. Because of that, like association of like, Mm -hmm. if they think if like if I hang out, if I'm nice, even if I'm nice to gay people, like they'll think I'm gay too, and I didn't want people to know that. (laughs)
2: Right. It's so
1: real. It's so real.
2: Um, (laughs) It happens. People make that mistake all the time, and it's I I I try to to take it as flattery, but (laughs) yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I like I'm curious about like allyship. Like you're so you're the second person straight person, um, that has ever been on this podcast in what this is episode 44. So in 44 episodes, um,
2: and Thanks this for is, inviting
1: me to this party. I know yeah. I don't, I,
2: <laughs> you know, I'm not owed a place. I uh, yeah. appreciate it.
1: <laughs> yeah. But you've like, I mean, you and your blog, you're writing your work. Um, I know have, has played such a huge part in so many LGBT Christians kind of journeys in their lives, You know, in my journey in life, like your blog was, it was still pretty dangerous to read, but it was safer than like queer blogs. Um, Right. And the way that you've opened up this conversation, I think for so many people has had a huge impact. Um, So I'm kind of curious, like maybe to start, like what has your personal journey kind of been like in, I mean, you mentioned it a little bit, but in kind of becoming an ally like I was combing through your blog. It, it, it looks like your first post about kind of like LGBT stuff was maybe in 2008 is what I could find. Oh gosh, find.
2: please don't read that um, and please
1: do not quote it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's but, just
2: pretend whatever that says, <laughs> it does not say that.
1: But like you've had a, you've, that like 2008, like that's 10 years ago. Um, You were one of the first to kind of really bring this topic up. So I'm curious, what, what has that journey kind of been like for you?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, like a lot of folks who, I was raised, you know, very conservative, evangelical, in a pretty grace-filled home, though, which gave me room to wrestle with some of what the culture was teaching me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I, you know, was raised to believe that uh, people who identify as LGBTQ, uh, and I mean, back when I was first thinking about that, we didn't even use those terms correctly. Right. Um, I was raised to believe that folks like that just, you know, were rebelling against God and, um, had made sinful lifestyle choices. Mm. And, uh, so I was immersed in that, uh, very non-affirming world. Um, like a lot of folks who have the same background. Uh, but you know, as, and this is just how so many people's stories go mm. as, I began to actually encounter real LGBTQ people, um, as I began to, as some of my friends and acquaintances from high school, um, in their college years came out. Yeah. I began to see that the stereotypes that I'd been presented with just were not reflections of reality mm-hmm. and that I'll, a lot of these folks, most of these folks, since I live in, uh, you know, Bible belt, Mm-hmm were deeply committed Christians who loved Jesus and who most of them, because they had shared a similar background to me, were really struggling with the reality of their sexuality or gender identity and what they too had been told about what it means to be gay or queer or uh, transgender. And so um, I, I guess it was just you know getting to know people and and watching that trajectory, like for so many people that moved my heart and uh changed how I thought about things. And then, you know, having grown up as like bible thumping religious girl, mm. literally I was the president of the Bible club. That's yes. how intense. Yes. <laughs> I was on homecoming court representing Ooh. the Bible club. Yes. Yes, yes. yes. That's, <laughs> that's just how cool. I was in high school. Uh also like president of the True Love Weights group. I oh, mean, I was in it, I was in it. So, um So I did feel like I had to make some sense of this uh, with what I had been taught and what I encountered in scripture. And so I I did study quite a bit, um, study uh, what the Bible had to say about gender and sexuality, even though my heart was I mean, it would be it would be unfair and and not really true to say that, like, I came in objectively. I didn't. Nobody comes into that objectively. Um, I wanted to believe that LGBT people were. Uh, cr- you know, created in the image of God and beloved by God, and, and just as they are, and that they they didn't have to change. That uh, the 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 therapy that I had seen them go through that was so destructive uh, was not the way of God. So I went in with a bias, um, but I I did my did my work uh, hmm. definitely as. Um, you know, as things progress, I read Matthew Vines's work. Well, first it was probably Justin Lee's book, Torn, um, and then articles and you know, whatnot online. Uh, Matthew Vines's book was also pretty influential and in kind of nailing down what how I thought about it. But really, the 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 thing that that really turned me around and that that solidified my views was reading, this is random, uh, The Civil War as a Theological Crisis Hmm. by Mark Knoll. I know, I'm a weirdo. But (laughs) it showed, because I realized that when it came to proof texts, um, the people with the most, the people with the clear reading of scripture, um, were the folks arguing that slaves obey your masters should be taken at face value. Mm. And so that book, just in looking at the way the arguments on both sides of, uh, the slavery debate, which was a very real debate, real theological debate in American history, looking at the way those debates were formed and, and had and engaged in, you just, I just saw stark startling similarities. Slavery obviously is a completely different, um, injustice than injustices against LGBT people. Mm -hmm. So the injustices are different, but the way that people navigate scripture around them is actually pretty strikingly similar. Mm. So that kind of pushed me over the edge to say that, you know, just, you know, one verse that seems clear really should not be enough to justify uh, oppression and injustice. And um, that sometimes you have to step back and look at the arc of scripture instead of getting lost in the mire of a of, of verse here and a verse there and a very difficult to translate word here mm. and one there. Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of was what brought me to the place that I am. And then it was just spending lots of time with, um, LGBTQ people and getting to know better what was important to them. Uh, I hope that has made me a somewhat reliable <laughs> ally. Mm-hmm. I'm still learning, you know, mm-hmm. every time I will probably learn something from this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I try to keep that posture of learning uh, as best I can. Um, I think the best allies are people who know that they haven't got it figured out and who are willing to make mistakes and get called on their mistakes. That's hard. I hate that. But I think um, that's an important posture to keep
1: yeah like I, I think about that because I think in in one way or another, like we are all allies in right in our world so like even for lgbt people like for me gay white cis man like I can only consider my well i, I ally is one of those words that I have a complicated relationship with, but ally like for my trans siblings and I mean mm. those kind of things of so so that posture that you're talking about like is one that I think we we all have to adapt in some ways in our lives um and it's so important like to realize it, it's it's not really for us to decide even um, and <laughs> right. which is frustrating and hard sometimes <laughs> but um I I I'm curious about like so as as you kind of made this journey as you've done this theological work and then you started kind of started to like step out uh and kind of publicly i mean you kind of paved the way in some ways like there were some other people before you but it's like the first like kind of major evangelical blogger to really take these steps like what have you learned from kind of the pushback and the church like you you carried a lot stepping out Um.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, really, though, I think because I had been so transparent from the beginning Mm. about the fact that I wasn't comfortable with where I was to start Mm, (laughs) with mm. this, um, nobody was surprised. Like there wasn't one day where it's like, (laughs) Rachel Evans is affirming. Let's, you know, Lifeway drop all her books. I mean, they dropped my books over other things, Mm. basically my feminism. So, you know, like, I didn't have this sort of Jen Hatmaker moment where right. it was like, oh, she's an ally. She's affirming everybody freak out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, I tried actually to, um, I think the, the moment where I made it most clear that I was affirming was just in going through Matthew Vines' book mm-hmm. uh, with my readers. We went chapter by chapter by chapter. I tried to tried to kind of shift the focus off of me and more onto like these are the reasons to be affirming. And this is from the perspective of, uh, a young gay Christian. Um, so that it wasn't all, you know, so that, uh, yeah, I guess I just feel like all of those things together made that step, not like one step <laughs> and yeah. not big deal. <laughs> mm. Like nobody was surprised when I started, uh, speaking more honestly and straightforwardly about where, I, where I stood, because I've, I've always tried to be honest with my readers, even when the honest answer to a question is, I don't know, here's what I'm reading. Here's what I've encountered in my experiences with other people. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm not sure how to articulate it. Seems like readers appreciate that. And so, um, yeah, nobody was surprised. And, and and frankly, I didn't face the same pushback that like Jen Hatmaker has received. Um, I didn't lose, you know, contracts or speaking mm-hmm. engagements. I mean, I might have maybe one or two, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it, cause I think people saw this coming for a while and, um, yeah. And so I hadn't really built much of a, I never really built my platform on evangelical, um, conservative evangelical, uh, Columns, you know right, right. <laughs> it was kind of built and just doing my own thing, and I think that ended up serving me pretty well, so I cannot lament how terribly I was treated because I actually felt like I came out of that pretty well, and of course, even the worst things people have said to me it's just like nothing compared to what uh I have witnessed firsthand thrown at my gay friends mm-hmm. uh gay couples that I love um. And so it kind of puts it in perspective to like mm-hmm. some angry dude on Twitter calling me names. It's just whatever. Like I can block him. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas you know, folks who live with this day in and day out where it's affected their, their relationships with their family, with lifelong friends, you can't as easily block that out. Mm. Um, so it really wasn't, um, a lot of drama for me. It was, I think people saw it coming and, um, I hope that I kind of shifted the focus over to the people who helped me arrive at this position, not, um, just my arriving there.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. like, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I think, I mean, I remember kind of watching you along this process as I was going on my own process and, and mm-hmm. seeing like you, like Jennifer Knapp and Justin Lee, Matthew Vines, like you, you kind of brought in all of these people around you who were doing that you could point to who were, who were informing you. And, um, yeah, that was really cool, really cool to watch. Um,
2: well, I'm grateful for the work that those folks have put in. And more recently, Austin, who Austin Hartke, who just, I think you just interviewed him last week or a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, most recently, like his book is so good. Yeah. And, and I'm so grateful for the work that he does and that so many people do. You included, um, you know around and just the, the the length of time he spent just explaining terms mm-hmm. <laughs> you know in that book and it but it, the accessibility of it, the readability of it uh I know that that's that represents generosity, but mm-hmm. he doesn't have to do that <laughs> you mm-hmm. know he doesn't have to walk people through this uh when it's something that he knows so well and uh and I appreciate the 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 hard work that that represents, and I try to honor that and be grateful for it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm yeah yeah austin's book like my gosh is just it's so good um
2: well he's such a raging bible nerd i love this yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) i do too oh yes (laughs) so i i know like there are like i mean a ton of lgbt people who listen to this podcast but there are also a ton of allies and kind of my thought process around this episode has been like let's let's talk to and with the allies um (laughs) for an episode and i'm curious like what like what are some of maybe the mistakes that you've made and Mm. what advice would you give to people who are maybe from the journey that you've been on and from learning as being an ally that you would give to other allies that maybe i wouldn't be able to give as a gay person like
2: yeah yeah Yeah, I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, I think the biggest mistake that allies tend to make is to speak for people instead of to amplify uh, other people's voices. Mm -hmm. And this can be a little tricky because I do think there is a place for uh, allies to articulate to people who are maybe not affirming. Uh, here's why I'm affirming and here's how I got here. So there's a place for that. Um, But, you know, you want to make sure that when you do that, you're also pointing people to um, actual LGBTQ people who can, uh, and their stories. Um, So I think just a common mistake is sort of um, speaking on behalf of another group of people and then sort of basking in your awesome, allyship because of that and kind of like look at me being edgy and you know kind of wearing it as a badge of courage like oh I'm an awesome heretic Mm. and you know like when this is people have been through excruciating pain because of, of some of what the church is teaching about gender and sexuality and so you know it you coming out as affirming is not is is not um I don't know, just doesn't require the same courage as mm. coming out as day. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of that sort of like patting oneself on the back and enjoying sort of the edginess of it that seems kind of exploitive um, and kind of commodifies mm. um, LGBT folks. And, you know, I've I've faced that. Uh, impulse myself. And so I try to, to correct that. Another thing I would want to say to allies is uh, to not be afraid of making mistakes. Um, like don't let the fear of making a mistake keep you from speaking out um, and and trying to be an ally. Because mm-hmm. I know like Twitter is a tough place because yes. you know oh, I like to say that conservatives will bludgeon you to death, but liberals will nitpick you to death. You know, it's like, and I'm convinced, I'm convinced that my tombstone will read, but she had that one problematic tweet that one time. You know, it's just, it is, um, it is an unforgiving place. Mm-hmm. And I, I think because a lot of the conversation around gender and sexuality and Christianity happens there, and I've learned a lot from Twitter, um, I do know that there are people who want to be allies, I want to be outspoken about their affirming position, but they're kind of scared to enter the fray because they're afraid if they say something wrong, they'll get dissected and, and picked apart mm-hmm. and, um, you know, sort of thrown to the wolves, which I mean, it's, I try to keep, and I've had that experience and I try to keep it in perspective that, you know, pushback on Twitter is not the same as being persecuted or nailed to a cross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and that actually, Frankly, everybody forgets about it in a week. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> you can actually make a pretty disastrous mistake, and people are over it mm-hmm. in just a, a matter of days. Um, and so I would I would encourage allies. I mean, I do think sometimes progressive Christianity we we do sometimes have a tendency to, um, to, to to fight each other sometimes in ways that are not necessarily productive. But you know you can learn so much more if you go into it with some humility and if you get called out by a lot of people who you respect, chances are you said something wrong or you, um, you know, you came at it with, uh, you know, a posture that wasn't helpful and that it's, you know, it's just worth listening to that and having the humility to apologize. Um, uh, It's, it's worth, the risk of making the mistake mm. to still be part of the conversation and to still be an advocate. Um, because every, any ally, whether you're trying to be an ally to, you know, Black Lives Matter, or you're trying to be an ally to um, LGBT folks. Um, if you come at it with privilege, whether that's racial privilege or um, any kind of privilege, Uh, you know, you're probably going to make some mistakes. You're going to have some blind spots and people are going to call you out. And that's part of it. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I just want to encourage Alice not to let the fear of that get in the way. We're so afraid of being criticized. Don't be more afraid of being criticized than of speaking the truth and uh, helping people and coming alongside people and working towards justice. Um, If you're going to do that work, In any way, you're gonna make mistakes. So have grace for yourself. Have grace for the people who are challenging you. Um, It's not easy because I don't like to be criticized, um, but it's so worth it, uh, and it's the right thing to do. Mm
1: -hmm. I think that's such an important point of like that kind of that that line between that you were mentioning at the beginning of kind of that answer of like that that there's a place for allies to speak, um, and then there's also kind of that wisdom of knowing when to like to highlight other voices. But that, that place to speak is, is kind of what I was thinking about was like, not being, this is all coming together in my head, not being afraid to speak out, um, as an ally, because I think for so many people, I you know for queer, for me as a queer person, at least to watch straight people be brave enough to speak out, Um, cause I, I think I still, at least at the beginning of my journey, still kind of had this idea, like straight as default, straight as unbiased, um, (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) which just is, is not true. But like in the world that I grew up in, I was so scared to read anything from anyone queer that to have the straight people who were speaking up and saying, Hey, like, look at this. Hey, I think this queer person is saying some good things. It gives permission to start exploring, um, and that is so important and so needed for so many people, um, and yeah. So that really good point. Like,
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you kind of just have to know. You have to know whose ear do you have? You know, if you're right. a pastor, well, allyship. If you're a pastor of a in a conservative tradition, but you're affirming you know, allyship is going to look different for you than it does for me, than it does for Jen Hatmaker, than it mm-hmm. does for you being an ally to, say, trans folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to kind of know, like, whose ear do I have? And how can I best speak to those people? Um, while also not centering myself all the time and also being aware that I've got some blind spots because of my privilege. I think one thing that I I feel like is a common kind of mistake people make when, when we talk about privilege is they think that it's like a, a, a permanent label that it, they don't realize that it's relative, mm. you know, that like, Oh, you're saying I'm privileged. Like privileged is just this place that you exist. Well, you might be privileged when it comes to, you know, race is probably the most significant. If mm. you're white, you, you know, you, there, that comes with significant privilege. Um, but you might be, be you know, less than privileged when it comes to your economic background or perhaps you're gay or, you know, or in some cases being a woman, Mm -hmm. um, you know, puts you in a position of, of not being as privileged as uh, the next person. So understanding that privilege is somewhat relative uh, I think helps sometimes because there seems to be a lot of misunderstanding. Like people see it as an insult, Mm. like calling me privileged. Mm. It's like, you know, I grew up with, you know, in a small house and, you know, like, People can kind of go through the litany of thing of the ways in which they feel they're underprivileged. So that's something too. I wish I wish people understood better. And that was kind of an aha moment for me was realizing that there are a lot of situations that I carry privilege into those situations, and there's some where I'm more underprivileged. Um, and it's it's not an insult. It's just something to be aware of, and something to check, and something to um, to be honest with yourself about we can't really be honest with ourselves about that, that privilege if we're not um, clear on what that means that mm-hmm. um, it's not, you know, privileged isn't just a static identity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of who you are in relation to others. Um, yeah. So that's something too that, that once you get some clarity on that, I think it's
1: helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Like, I mean, that was, I know that was a huge lesson for me of like being like, I'm gay. I'm so oppressed. And when people are like, "Well, no, you still have a lot of privilege," like Twitter world, um, I was like, "What are you? What are you talking about?" And that journey of realizing, like, wait a second, like just because I'm oppressed in one specific way, doesn't mean that I don't have privilege in other ways. Like, that was a huge lesson for me to learn. It was a hard lesson for me to learn, and um, but it's so important for doing. Yeah, and that it's
2: not. It's not an insult. You know, right. it's just something to be aware of. Yeah. And I think people just get defensive as as soon as they hear it and it's really hard to be honest about your privilege if you're being defensive about your privilege. But yeah. that's that that was a hard that was a hard realization for me to have and I think it's a hard one for potential allies to have too sometimes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This is this is a bit of a transition and a shift, but you have a new book coming out. That sounds so incredible. Um, inspired slaying giants, walking on water, and loving the Bible again. Like I love that title. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the book and like what brought you to it? And this this whole idea of like loving the Bible again is something that like I feel like I know I kind of yearn for. Um, and I think I kind of get that feeling from a lot of people of like, what do we do with this text? Like,
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, that was it for me too. It's like, cause I think a lot of us, you know, we were who we were raised to read the Bible one way. We realize that we have perhaps been reading it wrong. Mm. Uh, we don't really know, you know, how to get back to it. We don't really know where to go now. And we especially sometimes I think lose our love of scripture and our fascination with scripture and, um, you know, just the joy of engaging scripture. So what I wanted to do with this book with inspired was to um take people's doubts and questions seriously, take biblical good, decent biblical scholarship mm. seriously, but introduce a little bit of fun too and and intrigue and imagination into uh, to my own journey and 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 to other people's journeys of. Uh, re-encountering scripture. Hmm. So it's different than any book I've written before because it includes, like, poetry and uh, short stories, um, a short screenplay. Hmm. Um, gosh, what else? Um, a soliloquies, a choose your own adventure story, yes. um, which is, uh, and I, I just, so I had a lot of fun writing this because I wanted people to, to be able to engage their imaginations in scripture again, and to invite that. I was very much informed, uh, not only by the scholarship of folks like Peter Enns and Walter Brueggemann, um, and also like Dolores Williams and some womanist, uh, uh, Will Gaffney, oh my goodness, her book, mm. Womanist Midrash is everything, mm-hmm. um, uh, but, uh, but also by Jewish interpreters of scripture and Jewish midrash, which is sort of like this creative, um, almost like fan fiction way of engaging in uh, biblical interpretation. And mm-hmm. so uh, the Jewish posture towards scripture is, I believe, so healthier than a uh, uh, the way a lot of Christians approach scripture and that they really welcome wrestling questions. Uh, there's not this desperate need to make everything in the Bible resolve. Mm. Um, there's, there's just this willingness to let the tensions exist, to let the questions uh, inform us and, um, and to just love it, to love the stories, even when they can be troubling and mm. when they raise uh, troubling questions and, and and issues. So, yeah, it was this book was definitely influenced by Jewish interpretation, which really changed how I engaged the Bible. And I hope that it just sort of invites people to love the Bible again um, for what it is, not what we're t- we try to make it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, that's like... That's so real of kind of like, I think for so many of us who've who've moved into these kind of more progressive spaces, and especially when the Bible has been used as a weapon, Mm. especially for so many people who listen to this podcast, like when the Bible has been weaponized, like... I, I think we, we tend to step away from it for our own health, and so be it. Like, yeah. we need to do that. And I am I am a full advocate for, like, if you need to step away from the text for a couple of years, like, do it. Give yourself a yes. break. But <laughs> yes. um, that, like, I, I think, at least for me, like, growing up in such a deeply conservative evangelical space, like, there was a love for Scripture that I miss. And mm-hmm. to reclaim that, like... I I kind of relish the idea of, of reclaiming it, but maybe doing it in a much different way. And yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm excited for your book. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's
2: kind of one of those. It's definitely like a when you're ready, <laughs> if and yeah. when you're ready. Here's kind of how I found my way back to the Bible. Um, and, it, you know, different people are ready at different times. And for folks who the Bible has been used as a weapon against them, it, it takes a long time, if ever, to want to come back to uh, scripture and to come back to the Bible, um, and that's, you know, it's it's a loss that they grieve in many ways. But if if and when they're ready to come back, I do think there's there's life there. There's um, there's stories that connect to our own stories in surprising ways, and and that's true for people who have. Um, have had scripture used against them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I look at, in particular, you know, womanist interpretations of Uh, the Bible, which were really influential in in my work on this. Um, And, you know, that's, those interpretations are coming from black women mm who, uh, for whom the Bible has been used very viciously against them. Uh, And yet, you know, they find in the stories of women like Hagar, um, the woman from Song of Solomon, uh, you know, these sort of these threads of of justice in this, um, they, they hear a little of their own voice in those characters and in those stories. And so tracing it with them uh, can be really enlightening and tracing biblical interpretation from, uh, you know, folks who belong to oppressed groups. Um, you just see it in a brand new way. Mm. Uh, you know, they identify with characters and with. Instances and stories and even turns of phrase that I just never even noticed before, which is why one of the most important things we can do when we do come back to the Bible is to read it in community with people who are not like us, with people yes. who are going to pick up on things that we would never pick up on, and whose life experiences informs you know how they see things, like Austin and his engagement of the stories of the eunuchs throughout mm-hmm. Scripture. I never even thought to pay attention to how often uh, we see eunuchs appear in the Bible and the significant roles that they played. Uh, but Austin noticed that, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah, that that tried with the book to introduce a lot of different perspectives. But this was one of those books that could have been like, 500,000 words oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but but good, lucky for everyone involved I had a child right in the middle of writing it so it, it ended up being 60,000 words so the, the the presence of procreation definitely helped edit this book to a reasonable size and hopefully it's accessible to people <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh gosh um so maybe to close um and I mean, this is, this is kind of a question that I feel like I've already asked, um, <laughs> but maybe in a different way, uh, for people who, I mean, okay, I'm going to pause here. Like the question that I was coming with is like, what advice would you give to allies? Um, but you've kind of, I already asked you that. So, um, I'm trying to think of a, a good way to maybe rephrase that, um, I don't know. I'm lost like <laughs> this <laughs> this happens sometimes. <laughs> oh
2: no, it's fine. I don't know how you all do podcasting cuz I would never. I would get so lost in like every little tangent that we could go down totally. that I would never be able to actually keep a conversation. <laughs> like you kept this going along in a great little clip. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. it's, <laughs> it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um you can just ask something else, or yeah, I could man. ask a question or something.
1: Yeah, we, I can
2: ask you a question. That would be great. Thought, yeah. Okay. Okay, I'll uh, just start by saying something like, "Hey, Matthias, I have a question for you." <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> okay. Well, let, let, let me see about what I going <laughs> to ask. Oh, uh, I'll, I'll ask you that question. Like, what can allies do better? That's like, mm. so all right. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Matthias. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Since we're wrapping up, uh I was wondering there's a few things that I always like to to ask uh folks, and one of them is you know how can I be a better ally, and how can other people who have similar platforms as I do um how can we be better be better allies um yeah, what would you like to see us doing more of mm. less of <laughs> mm. that sort of thing
1: yeah, thank you like I I think uh, for me, I think one of the biggest things and in, in thing that, that I try to be aware of is like there, there are so many of us out there. Um, and there are so many of us who, who have like kind of built platforms and, and who are kind of doing this work, but I'm aware and starting to be kind of hyper aware of all the people who don't have the big platforms mm-hmm. uh, and who are like writing their little blogs that have, you know, like 10 20 readers and who are doing like really incredible beautiful work but aren't getting the quote unquote recognition for it. And the number of things that I feel like I've learned from those people and from those blogs that I'm like, "Oh, like these are the voices that we need to pay mm. attention to." Um and so I think, and and like, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned this, but like taking that listening posture, but that also like the work of, and I'm speaking to myself here too, the work of like searching out those voices mm. that we haven't heard, like, and yeah. actually searching, like it takes some effort. Like I've noticed how much effort it takes for me to, to get outside of my circles and find people who are doing similar, but such different work like, it's hard to find these people, and yet they're everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then to highlight those voices, like, that's something that I, I try to do with this podcast. I don't do it as well as I could, um, but that's something that I think for for everyone. I was just kind of like, where are all of the voices that I'm not hearing? How can I find them? <laughs> like, right. And, and, and to, to
2: support them financially, too. Yes. Hey, A- allies. Like, you've got a couple of bucks to spare to, you know, throw at this podcast or at the Reformation Project or, um, you know, or just, you know, whatever project folks are working on, um, you know, you don't have to be a big donor to, you know, just lend Oh, a hand. Right. Um, cause like a lot of folks like you are like literally doing this out of their closet, Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, and, and I'm always so impressed with the work that I see, the creative work and the, um, networking work and the teaching work that I see, uh, Christian LGBTQ people doing. Um, you know, if you can uh, spare a little bit, uh, when it comes time to think about how you want to give, do you think allies can do a better job of putting some money where their mouth is? Yeah. You know, it's easy to, to write a tweet, a tweet, but, um, you know, just taking a few minutes to share, you know, a few bucks via PayPal. That can make a big difference. Actually, that really adds up. So I would say folks step up, yeah. <laughs> which reminds me, I have, I have some donations of my own. I really need to <laughs> to make. So now great. I've just talked myself into donating money, but, uh, I do think that that, that's also just something to keep on your radar if you're an ally.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that's so true. And, and I mean, like I, I think of, again, all of these, these people who don't have the platforms who are doing this work of where like even like a $5, $10 donation means the world of like just the yeah. encouragement of that of like, I see you doing good work. Here is something for that, like something tangible. Like that's huge. That's yeah, huge.
2: definitely, definitely. Yeah. Also, I have to say, the, I know y'all are all making a big impact on me because the other day I'm at a baby shower, and this always happens. You know, I've got a little boy, a toddler. He's two years old. Mm. He's running around, and the girl next to me is the mom next to me is like, "Oh my gosh, I have a little girl. You have a little boy. Maybe they'll grow up and get married." And I was like, "Or." <laughs> maybe my little boy will marry her little boy or maybe he won't get married at all yes. or yes. know, <laughs> whole litany. and they're just like as I'm talking their faces get blanker. like
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so y'all have made me the weirdo at okay. the baby showers thank That's you we that.
1: need we need that it's, Tennessee <laughs> needs that <That's... laughs> Yes, Tennessee needs it real bad y'all
2: real bad yeah
1: uh, Oh, gosh. Oh, Rachel, it's been such a pleasure.
2: Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be uh, one of the allies on yeah, here. I, yeah. Like I said, I, you know, it means a lot that you invited me to the party.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor thank to have you. you here. So, yeah, thank you. And that's it, friends. That's it. Rachel was an incredible woman. Uh, she'll be deeply, deeply, deeply missed. I hope we all can give ourselves space to let ourselves feel this loss, to let ourselves deeply feel it. And grief is one of those things that it comes and goes, it's like waves. We can feel healed at one moment, and then something can get us crying again, like hearing her voice. So it will come and it will go, and just let it do its work. So in honor of Rachel, let's do our work. Love you all. Good night.